0: Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. We are down to just four teams left in college basketball's biggest tournament. BetOnline has you covered with all of the lines, the odds, the props, and more for this championship weekend. Head over to their website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using the promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V. Bet online, where the game starts. Joining us on the Razor's Red Zone is Razor himself, Mr. Brian Rosenthal, live on vacation, joining us here to talk about some college hoops, Razor, how are you doing this morning?
1: Well, I'm, I'm joining you from a different setting here. Uh, adjusting to the time, not easy. Coming from the East Coast out here to the Golden State. Um, I'm doing well. You know, I didn't have a chance to watch enough hoops this weekend because I travel with my family, but definitely excited to discuss uh, what transpired Thursday through Sunday and what's going to hopefully transpire on Saturday. Maybe I have that crystal ball, but I appreciate you, Kyle, filling in for me today.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you for taking the time to talk hoops, because this is the biggest time of the year there. We've got all the blue bloods in the final four somehow. So I I will ask you first and foremost, what were your biggest takeaways from the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight, just things that you, you caught your eye and were interesting?
1: Well, let's start with Purdue and how disappointing this team was. You know, selfishly, I had Purdue going pretty far in every bracket all the way to the final four. Um, I think it's time in West Lafayette to reevaluate what we got out of Matt Painter. He's a great coach. He's given Purdue a chance to compete in the Big Ten nearly every single year um, with just a couple stumbles, but the tournament is a continuous stumble for Matt Painter. Last year, exiting as a four seed, losing to North Texas, an uh, inexcusable loss in the Sweet 16. Obviously, St. Peters is a pretty good team. I mean, they beat two very good teams in Murray State and Kentucky. But the stage is set. You have a chance uh, for a clear path to the regional final against a team that has, uh, you know, far less talent than you do. Your best player was a no-show. You know, really can't control that. I guess if you're Matt Painter, I, uh, you know, Jayden Ivy nine points, discombobulated pretty much the whole game, jacking shots that had no business uh, that he had no business taking. Uh, you know, Edie just so weak at times. Uh, you know, Savanovich finally comes to life, but only has eleven points. Purdue is m- much more disappointing than Gonzaga and Gonzaga is the, obviously the other team that you want to talk about and, you know, how poor their, their guard play is. And, you know, obviously, um, Nimhart was a no-show first half. I believe he had a bucket. Uh, Holmgren, a no-show first half. He kind of got go in second half, but, you know, a lot of bad calls in that game. I had Gonzaga in a money line parlay with Villanova. That was disappointing, but yeah, I mean, th- those two teams were the biggest takeaways. Other than that, not really surprised by a whole lot besides those two games. I felt confident in Miami. I gave that play out Miami money line over Iowa State. Kansas beating Miami in the regional final and Pro- and Providence in the Sweet Sixteen. No surprise there. We've talked about this on your podcast and and in my podcast that Kansas. Had a very nice path to the Final Four, and that was on display uh, down there in the Midwest region. Um, no surprise that Villanova got through that region. I had Villanova going all the way. They just have so much experience, and they have the best coach in that region. Arizona getting blasted by Houston, a little surprising. That was a game I never wanted any, any investment in. I just, just don't know with that with that Houston team how good they can play, and they played unbelievable um going you know out to the west duke uh taking care of texas tech i had that no surprise texas tech does not score many points and then duke you know really taking it to arkansas in that game especially at the end of the first half and at the 15 minute mark in the second uh duke no surprise and then carolina ucla probably my favorite game of the tournament i mean that just came down to ucla not making shots in the final two minutes carolina making those huge threes, Uh, you know, it was just a great, fun game. I thought UCLA was going to win that game, except over the last two-minute span where they just couldn't do anything. So uh, no surprises there. Very excited for the Final Four. You mentioned Blue Bloods. I like Blue Bloods. I did not want St. Peter's to win another game in the NCAA tournament. I tweeted that out after they beat (laughs) Purdue. Uh, It's over for them. Great run. Congratulations to those young men. But it's time to see Carolina Duke, and that is something that's unbelievably exciting in, in the triangle. Tobacco Road. For those that don't know, the triangle is Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill. So um, that is so big, and of course, here I am in in the western part of the country, in Northern <laughs> California. Will not see the game likely. I maybe I get lucky in my in my flight pattern if they have live TV on my way back to the triangle. But uh, it's a great time to be in Tobacco Road.
0: So let's talk about the final four game now, because Duke is currently sitting as a four point favorite against Carolina, which Carolina is more of a Cinderella team than past Roy Williams, Carolina teams. Obviously, you know, they, they did peak at the right time and, they got, you know, other than blowing that lead against Baylor, a, a relatively light path to get to the final four. So what do you make of that matchup going into the final four, given Duke is, I believe, also minus 160 right now? I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure on that, but I think early yeah, line probably- says minus 160.
1: Yeah, it's probably a little bit heavier on the juice, especially the time you get to tip off. My guess is it will land at 175 or 180 uh, for the Duke-Carolina game on the money line. I like Duke money line here, Kyle. I I just think Duke is the much better team. I think Duke right now is the best team in the field of four. I I looked at that Carolina-Duke game, and there was just so much on the line at Cameron Indoor Stadium. The final game for Coach K, it was just probably – too much to overcome for those Duke student athletes on that night. They had a controllable lead that they blew at the end of the first half. That changed the dynamic of the game. That's not going to happen again. This coaching staff knows that they're going to have to put their foot to the pedal. If they're up by eight or nine, do not let this team who's super hot Carolina uh, find a way to win. You know, it's actually good that Carolina is not playing Duke on you know this Monday, because I feel like that changes everything. Carolina just has that momentum. They have, that fire and that will to win, I think everything changes when you play six days later. I, I think they will cool down, and I think when it comes to the bench of Duke, that's going to make the difference. We saw Carolina again against UCLA. They played six guys, and Duke will have a lot more legs there. I like Duke on the money line there. That's, that's a game that I feel comfortable with uh, placing a pretty big unit play on Duke taking care of Carolina, as we saw in the Dean Smith Center a few weeks ago.
0: So flipping to the other side of the bracket of which I, without watching very much college basketball this year, nailed the pick of Villanova and Kansas in my bracket, which I'm very proud of. Um, Right now, Kansas is currently sitting at plus 150 to win the entire tournament, and they were originally plus 800. So they are the betting favorites at this point. Do you think that that's because they're more likely to beat Villanova than Duke is to beat Carolina. And so they're kind of playing the odds of Kansas is likely to make the championship. I I was just kind of surprised to see Kansas as the favorite to win the entire tournament out of the four teams left.
2: Yeah,
1: I think you made a good point there. I think there's two reasons why KU is probably the favorite to win the national championship right now. They just have a lot more experience than Duke. You know, Duke has, very talented young players that haven't been on this stage. Really Kansas hasn't been on the final four stage in a while either. These players have not, but they've been through a lot more battles than the kids from Durham. Um, I, I, I think, I think they have an easier path maybe than Duke because of more going down for Villanova with more in the game. I think that's a pick I think Villanova has so much experience. Their backcourt's tremendous. But now you're looking at a totally different dynamic for the Villanova Wildcats. Uh, I do like KU on the money line as well, and I do probably have a little more confidence in Rock Chalk to get to the finals, you know, but I still love Duke. I love both of these teams, kind of like yesterday where, man, I just felt like this was a really good opportunity on Moneyline Parlay. Miami scared the crap out of me, though, first half. I mean, Miami played an incredible first half against KU, uh, but the big dogs, uh, Obaji and McCormick, stepped it up big time early in the second half and never let Miami come back. I think Kansas just too much experience, too much depth for the moreless Villanova Wildcats. And I'm going money line KU, probably selling at minus 175 as well. Let's go Rock Chalk Duke in the national championship.
0: I see right now, 175 is the line for yeah. uh, Kansas and Villanova is a plus 160 underdog. Obviously, you mentioned Justin Moore. For people who don't know, he tore his Achilles during Villanova's run to the final four. And so he's now no longer available for them. Um, what... Is the path for Villanova, I guess, just what do you make of Villanova's run? Obviously, they they won a ugly game against Houston to get to the Final Four, um, but it feels like they are kind of limping into uh, Jay Wright's, I guess, third Final Four now in six years, I think, for yeah. Jay Wright.
1: Incredible, Ron. They, they got to muddle this game up. They got to play great defense. They got to play ugly. They got to keep KU you know, going in their scoreless droughts, which we've seen all season long in the Big 12. That's the only way they win this game. They cannot go up and down the floor with Kansas without more. I, I think they have a chance if they can figure out a way to keep KU under 50 to 55 points. It's not impossible because we've seen this Kansas team uh, struggle to score the ball. So I would imagine Jay Wright's strategy is to slow everything down, play the best defense you can and let's find a way to win by a couple buckets on offense. I, I think that's the strategy here. It's going to be ugly. If it's ugly, Villanova has a chance, but if it's a pretty game back and forth scoring, I think KU wears them down at the end of the game.
0: So I would like to make the case as partially a joke here at the end that Arkansas should become a basketball school again. And now back-to-back elite eights is the, is the move for them at this point beat Gonzaga You'd make the elite eight for the second year in a row. So is Musselman the next one to jump off the wagon at Arkansas or is Arkansas going to take all of that SEC on ESPN television money from football and just pour it into a, a stellar basketball
2: program? <laughs>
1: Well, if you're a muscle man, you got to look at this, you know, you're, you're, you're in a conference that really you have not too many threats, probably on a consistent basis, right? This year, the SEC was really strong, but if you want a consistent winner, a team that's going to finish probably two, three, four, nearly every year with what you've created, I stay in Fayetteville, you know, unless a big blue blood job opens up Kentucky, Carolina, Duke, UCLA we've named, I just named a few none of those are opening up right and maybe maybe down the road a random Michigan team opens up Ohio State but the SEC is where the money is at Kyle and I think they're gonna unload the Brinks truck for Musselman and keep them there I could see Musselman staying I mean Arkansas is in the regional final back-to-back years what programs are much better for you to to use that as a recruiting tool tool I mean I don't even know. You may know this answer, but is Arkansas the only team left that's was was in the regional finals back to back years? If we look at the teams that made it to the final eight this year, is Arkansas the only one to go back to back? And Zaga did not. I don't think Duke was in there. We know Carolina was not Miami. I don't remember if Kansas was in the regional final last year. So, I mean, right now, I mean, the best coaching job in, in a two year span, you got to say Musselman's in the top three.
0: You know what's funny is that there is only one other program, and it is Kelvin Sampson's Houston okay. Cougars right. that Final somehow four. have built a powerhouse.
1: <laughs> of course. Yeah. Houston was in the Final Four last year losing to Baylor. So um, I, I think I think that he stays put for, for a couple of years, if I had to predict.
0: Both of those just make no sense. The fact that Houston oh. and Arkansas have built college basketball powerhouses now just it makes very little sense in this weird era of college basketball.
1: Well, Houston dominated the mid 80s and Arkansas kind of dominated the mid 90s going to the national championship back to back years, winning it in 94, losing it in 95 UCLA. So it's not unfamiliar territory for Houston and Arkansas, but it's been a long time since we've seen this kind of consistency.
0: It has been. Razor is on Duke. Razor is on Kansas for the final four. So make sure to take his advice or don't take his advice, but we still appreciate (laughs) his advice as a guest on his own podcast. So Razor, uh, much appreciated. I hope you enjoy vacation and, uh, we'll, we'll chat again sometime next week.
1: I imagine. All right, Kyle. Appreciate your time and, uh, always appreciate you stepping in for me. And I hope you have a very successful few days here on the Rager's red zone. Appreciate it, buddy.
0: Absolutely. Thank you, Razor. Joining us today on the Razors Red Zone podcast, we have Ken Thompson of SportsX Radio on 7.20 AM Las Vegas. Check him out every single day from 8 to 10 and follow him on Twitter at KenThompson87. Ken, love your setup back there uh, with all the, the Raiders stuff and Darren Waller jerseys and all kinds of Stuff if you're really sinking into the the Vegas Raiders as your guys's uh, your guys's team now. So, how are you doing today? How are you feeling? How's the life treating you?
2: I've been following the Raiders for years and years. So old school guys. I'm good friends with a lot of the old school guys, like way back Daryl Lemonic and Rod Martin, Phil Villapiano, Jim Plunkett, guys like that. Uh, I've known for a long, long time and made it to the Hall of Fame. And friends with Coach Tom Flores. who finally got into the Hall of Fame last year. And uh, this year I'll be going because my other good buddy, even though it's posthumously Cliff Branch, going to be going in the Hall of Fame. So I just made my uh, plans to go back to Canton, which I tell people is a a must see. You got to go. You haven't been to the NFL Hall of Fame. It's definitely worth taking in.
0: Yeah, I thought it was really cool watching the Tom Flores Hall of Fame ceremony. Obviously, I'm a, I'm a child. I didn't see him as in his uh, coaching prime, but it was really cool to see how all the people responded to that Hall of Fame ceremony. I thought it was a really cool deal because he'd been waiting for like 20 years, longer than people thought he would, to get in the Hall of Fame.
2: Here's the, uh, here's the official beer with Coach Flores on there. Coors Light did commemorative cans. And I actually ended up buying, and you can only get them in Nevada. I actually ended up buying about uh, fifteen cases of those suckers. They're the uh, they're the big boys, and uh, I'm gonna have Coach Flores sign them and and uh, get them out to people, and uh, then the money will go to his charity. So we've done some stuff together with Coach Flores. His family is awesome, and it was cool because Charles Woodson was going in as well. So got to see Seawood and uh, and then Peyton Manning and. You know, just a lot of guys that I followed their careers over the years, but real special. And uh, yeah, I think the the Raiders are doing some good things now in the uh, offseason. And with Tyreek Hill out of the AFC West, it's wide open. It'll be the group of death for anybody else that has to play the AFC West because all four of those teams will be legit. But I know we want to talk college basketball and we're down to four teams there as well.
0: It's exciting when when you have a good football team. You want to talk about it for six months, even before the season starts. But I do have college basketball questions for you. I'll just start you off with real quick, just seeing what piqued your interest over the past four days or so. Is there a team that's been interesting to you over the past, you know, two weeks of tournament time now that we're down to the final four?
2: Yeah, there's no question. There's been several, but being a boy that grew up in North Jersey, I mean, to see St. Peter's do what they did, you know, and I started looking back at the greatest upsets of all times. And of course, you know, they may have uh, some others like Philadelphia, over Georgetown rated as number one, which was a big upset and had to shoot 80% to beat Ewing and the Hoyas. Uh, But still, to me, UMBC beating Virginia because it's the only time we've seen a 16 beat a one. But to watch St. Peter's take out Kentucky and then Murray State and then just keep surprising and and moving forward was pretty amazing. Now, you kind of felt like if they lost, it was going to either be a blowout or it was going to be one that was down right down to the wire. And it turned out to be the, uh, the first. It was a, a big-time blowout. North Carolina was focused, and they went in there with a good, solid attitude to where, you know what? Let's just take these guys out. Let's go inside. We know we're stronger. We know we're bigger. Let's pound the rock down low. Let's not worry about the outside shooting. That'll come. But let's go hard to the rack. And you could see Hubert Davis made an effort to make sure the guys were doing that. And then when St. Peter's – half he's stopping what we got at until So we need back once they, they were able to dominate again. And then that opened up the outside shooting and they were able to and uh you know amazing to have a shot at a final four. And then Larry Nagas team too, Miami. I mean four, but came up a little bit short. But a good run by Miami. I think they really uh got too high on themselves when they had a six-point lead at halftime. And uh they came out and they got jumped and 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 it showed big time. And so they ended up falling.
0: Well, you mentioned Carolina a little bit there and Carolina had a weird path to the final four. I still, you know, I'm again, a child, but I find interesting that Carolina is now like a Cinderella type of team in the modern landscape of college basketball, where they're an eight seed who had a giant lead against Baylor and then the lead fell apart. And, you know, some people were calling the game of the tournament against UCLA, where Caleb Love scores 27 in the second half and then they get to kind of coast to the championship through St. Peter's. So, what do you make of Carolina? They're a 160 a plus 160 underdog on Saturday against Duke. How do you feel about where they're at right now and How they kind of match up against their bitter rivals who they already got the last laugh on back in the beginning of March.
2: Yeah, it's probably one of the most intriguing games of my life. And I remember, you know, going way back. I mean, I've been watching college basketball for a half century now. So a lot of great games throughout. But the way things set up, sometimes you just feel like the man upstairs has his, uh, his fingerprints on it because for Duke to get another opportunity in coach K's final season to avenge the loss at Cameron that they lose at the end of the regular season. I mean, what are the odds, right? And then North Carolina. Yeah. They were very solid against UCLA. I really, and I, I had them in that game and and the second half they played was masterful. And you're right. Caleb love was unconscious nailing. Uh, I think it was six threes, but he was fantastic. And the whole team played well, the Baylor game, when you go back, I mean, Brady Manick, if he doesn't get thrown, you know, claw for that elbow. And there's no doubt there was intent there. He probably saw that he had an open for a cheap shot. And like, you know, let me get this guy off my back type thing. But, you know, I'm sure in hindsight, he'd go back and go, what did I just do? Like, sometimes you have these out-of-body experiences where you're walking to the sideline going, what the hell did I just do? And I'm sure Brady Manick, several times when he was in the locker room, realizing that could be his last game as he's watching Paler come all the way back. From a 25-point deficit and force overtime. Now, Carolina showed a lot of resilience there by winning the game in the extra five minutes, which was key, and giving Manic another opportunity. Had he not gone out in that game, I think they win that game by you know 15 to 20 points. Again, they were up 25 when he got tossed. If they do win that game by 15 to 20, what then do you make the UCLA line right? Because at UCLA, two two and a half, I think it's a pick'em game. So I was all over Carolina. I liked the way they play. And then I looked at the Baylor game and said, all right, well, what if if Manic doesn't get tossed, they're going to take care of business handily. And they've looked very solid since taking out uh, Duke in the last game of the season, the regular season, they look really good. Even a couple of games before that. Now they did struggle in the ACC tournament and the loss of Virginia tech. But other than that, they've been very, very good. And so I thought, you know, yeah, an eight seed, but you're getting a lot of value there. And when I, When they got past UCLA, I felt for sure they're definitely going to go to the Final Four. I figured St. Peter's would hang around. I didn't play the game. I probably sentimentally, uh, you know, just thinking, all right, it's crazy how St. Peter's wins to get to the Elite Eight on National Peacock Day. Again, how does this stuff happen? I mean, how is March 25th, freaking National Peacock Day, and St. Peter's has a chance to get to the (laughs) Elite Eight, but they pull it off. I mean, it's just, you can't make this stuff up, as my my brother-in-law would say. My brother-in-law, is a big sports guy as well, and you know, a lot of you in the music world, may you know Zach Wilde, Obviously, a guitar player for about 25 years, fellow Jersey boys, so uh, he was always like, you know, certain things like that, KT, you can't make this crap up, man, and, and, and definitely singers on Peacock Day, and then Duke and Carolina now facing off. In the uh, final four, it doesn't get any better. There's a lot of that on Carolina, but they're going to have to shoot free throws better than they did against St. Peter's. They've got to play their A game and they got away with, you know, again, domination there against St. Peter's, but they're not going to have that domination. Uh, Height wise, Baycott's got to stay out of trouble. He got in foul trouble, you know, a, a couple times this year in big games. They need to have him out there. Love's got to shoot it well. And, uh, and then R.J.'s got to do his thing, man. R.J. Davis, to me, has really been the catalyst of this squad. A lot of fun to watch. I think you can expect 15 to 23 points from Brady Manick. He's very very consistent. And if he's knocking down the three early, they're going to stay right in that game with Duke and have another opportunity, not only to beat Coach K in the final game at Cameron over there in Durham, but also end Coach K's career. I mean, how big is this for North Carolina fans to get to avenge all those losses to Duke under Krzyzewski?
0: So on the flip side of the other final four matchup, we have Kansas and Villanova and, Kansas is an interesting place right now because they were a one seed this year. I know Razor and other college basketball people weren't as high on Kansas going into the tournament, but they get a, a nice path to the Final Four. It's their first Final Four since 2018. Surprisingly, it's only their second since like 2012, which is kind of weird because we always think of Kansas being at the top. But do you think that this year's run is a bit of a, a building block year for Kansas as a program? Um, you know, they're favored, I think at this point, my minus 175 to make the national championship. They're the betting favorites to win the whole thing at this point. So is this a a building block for Kansas, or is this like this is the best version of the team they're going to have over the next, next, say, five years?
2: I I think it's a a building block. I think they need to to get a little bit more consistent. Uh, They looked like a really dominant team until Kentucky went into Fog Allen Fieldhouse and beat their butts big time. And I think that was an eye opener. Now they were still a little bit short handed there. They're very fortunate that the guy we saw in Tempe, Arizona, Remy Martin became that guy down the stretch here, uh, especially in the postseason, because we did not see that guy. Then he got banged up a little bit during the middle of the season. And so we didn't see that guy. Uh, they need to meet Brown needs to shoot more. He's passed up a, a ton of open threes in this tournament. When he opened up hitting, their first three of the game in the second half to get them to the final four the other day against Miami. That was key. That really ignited the rest of the offense. abaji has been pretty good, but hasn't been consistent. And then, you know, McCormick down low, Jalen Wilson, these guys also very inconsistent. So what will self get from this squad? The consistency so far has really been from Remy Martin, but if they play like they did against the second half, and we always go back to that but most of the times teams don't play the way that they did either the last 30 minutes or 20 minutes in that case, or, or the last four games, there's always a different game. It's a different uh, environment. It's a different uh, team that they're facing. So again, Villanova shorthanded, right? What do, what do we look right away losing a guy like Moore is so key to that offense. This guy, everything facilitates and Jay, You know, know, Jay Wright really has six players on that squad. Archie Diakono will get him for a little bit, but it's really a six-man roster. I think he can get away with a five-man roster for the most part against Kansas, but Villanova's going to have to take the air out of the ball somewhat. They're going to have to be very deliberate. and We saw that from them throughout the tournament. They're very efficient. Uh, Gillespie doesn't force, but Gillespie's gonna have to take more shots now without more out there, Gillespie's really got to step up the game and really put the team on his back and everybody else has to step up as well. Samuel's got to come up big Dixon. these guys got to stay out of foul trouble again when you're shorthanded roster wise like that, everybody's got to step up. So Kansas has been very impressive uh, you know the last 20 minutes against Miami, but we've also seen when a key guy goes down for a franchise or, or a, a college, we've seen that team rise up and they call it rallying around the team. Well, Villanova, right, when you go look at the film, when Self and the team is looking at the film, there is no film without Moore out there. <laughs> Moore's a guy. He's, he's an integral part of that offense. He's out there 35 minutes a game. So now you have to scout that team and get ready. What is Jay Wright going to do differently? How is this going to change the offense? Who's going to, you know, be able to take more shots and whatnot? So, again, it's going to be interesting. Kansas, to me, is going to have to, you know, use Whitefoot and the guys down low to get anybody in foul trouble. They do that at all. All of a sudden, is playing short-handed. Maybe a good ball handler, very heady. And the guys are going to, again, they're going to weave. They're going to come out and do. And they get into any type of running situation with Kansas. They're going to find themselves down 7 to 10 points. And then I don't think they're going to be in the position without more to be able to come back. Because he's one of those street shooters that can knock two, three, four, three pointers down in a row. We've seen that not only throughout the season, but in the tournament already as well.
0: So, do you have any picks going into the final four? Because right now, early lines say that Duke is either four point or four and a half point favorite. Kansas sitting at four points, both around. Minus one seventy to minus one eighty. Um, what do you think about the game? Uh, is it a stay away? Is there any value that you like? Anything that you're looking at for either Saturday or even to Monday?
2: Yeah, right. Well, right now I'm not even gonna uh, mess with Monday. But you know, the and I understand why campus is the favorite because they're thinking, all right, say Duke beats Carolina. How high are they going to be for avenging that loss at Cameron? And Coach K now is in the final. State Carolina beats Duke. How sky high are they going to be knowing that they just took out Coach K last game at Cameron and now knocked him out for good? He's done. So there's going to be an emotional letdown is what the odds makers are looking at, where Kansas can stay even keel. Look, they're supposed to beat Villanova without more. With more there, I think it's a toss-up game. In fact, I probably would have taken Villanova. I want to look Kansas, but I I do respect just the cerebral team concept that you have from Villanova. So I think this team is smart enough to figure out a way to really win this game, you know, 50 to 44, same way that they beat Houston. I mean, it's, you know, when you start looking at games like that, yeah, it might be ugly on the scoreboard, but you think Jay Wright and Villanova and the folks in Philly give a crap. They don't care as long as they get there. And this would be a monumental building block now. It'll be a major advantage to whoever represents the other side because if Villanova wins, all of a sudden you've got a game with film without more in the offense. And it's going to give you a chance to kind of on Sunday piece it together a little bit. But I like the under. And again, I may get off it in game wagering. You're able to do that. Uh, But I'll look at the under in that Kansas Villanova game. That'll be the one play that I do have. I'm still deciding on Duke and North Carolina. If I play Duke, I don't care. If I have to lay the juice, but I probably lay it on the money line. I mean, I I I hate backdoor covers. Uh, You know, I'm somebody that like I look at it like if I'm betting a UFC fight and I really like the fighter and he's minus 180, I don't give a darn. I'm gonna lay the 180. As my buddy Chuck Edel says, KT, you don't pay the juice if you win the bet, so don't worry about it. You really like someone and you are afraid to maybe get backdoor on say you're up by you know, you're up by six, and they nail a three at the buzzer, they bank one home, I mean, and all of a sudden you win by three and you're laying four, you're going to be, gosh, darn it, I had this the whole way. And you think Duke cares? They're laying four? No, they care as, as far as they win, although I will go back to a time that Coach Krzyzewski, and I was even on with Andy Katz and ESPN, where against Utah in the Sweet 16 game, Coach K was pretty adamant about bringing Quinn Cook back out to shoot free throws when the spread was five and a half, and they would have only won by five had they not done that. And so if you don't think these coaches know about point spreads, trust me, they do, their boosters do, and the boosters let the coaches know exactly what that spread is, just in case they forget at the end of a game.
0: I like the idea that you're have you you still holding on to this memory from years and years ago because Quinn Cook hasn't been at Duke in like six or seven years, and you're still yeah. holding on to the one time Coach K subbed him in to shoot free throws and backdoor cover for Duke.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, here, here's, the, here's, the, here's exactly what happened. I mean, there's literally like four seconds left. Utah just scores. To cut it to five. The spread is five and a half pretty much everywhere here in Vegas. So Delon Wright actually reaches around Quinn Cook to tie him up. And he does have all ball. He's not even touching him. He's reached and so Delon Wright's looking at the ref like, hey, you know, blow the whistle to jump off. However, the possession arrow still would have given it back to Duke. And finally, you know, uh Quinn Cook's like, dude, the game's over. Get off me. And he swings his elbows. He actually creates the contact. The ref goes to put his arm up with like six tenths of a second left and then the buzzer goes off and it's like who cares Duke just won by five the team's exchange shaking hands on the sideline Utah is already in the locker room they get called back out coach K the camera pans over and you see coach K at the scores table he's freaking out he's like gosh dang it I mean I'm watching this I'm going oh my god he knows exactly what the spread is this is Unbelievable. And sure enough, they got Quinn Cook, a 90% free throw shooter at Duke. He misses the first one with the game uh, as far as within the game still hanging in the balance, makes the second one. When that happened here in Vegas, $14 million exchanged hands.
0: Jeez, that is crazy to think about. And also, I think Quinn Cook has won two NBA championships since that's happened. So this is the bad beat of all bad beats, it would appear in the college basketball world. That's actually a really cool story. I didn't even think about the idea that Coach K knows right at the end when the game's out of out of decided at that point that he can leave Quinn cook in and still get the the points to cover. I know the Carolina UCLA game kind of ended the same way where it was over, but they fouled with like 0.3 seconds on the clock. And then they had to like sadly sit there while North Carolina shot free throws before they could end their season. So I know that part happens. I didn't realize that with a points spread on the line, it could change so quickly.
2: Yeah, that's a, that's the thing. Yeah, with the UCLA final two free throws didn't affect the side or total because that's the first thing I looked at was wait a minute, what was the total? And uh, yeah, so it didn't affect either the side or total. Those were already decided there before those last two free throws
0: you almost got a second bad beat in there. That would have been an all timer of sorts to have lightning strike twice or something like that. So uh, Ken, I appreciate you stopping in again, follow Ken on Twitter at Ken Thompson, 87. You can find all of his work and all the cool stuff that he's doing out there over in the desert as Brett Musburger calls it. He's over in the desert now too, but you can check out Ken on Twitter the sports X radio on 7 20 AM in Las Vegas as well. So Ken, thank you for talking college hoops and a little bit of your Raiders stories and gambling escapades. It's it's always great to to talk to you and thanks for stopping in today.